Hello, I'm Jack Badams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, then we are the natural selection. This is How Many Geese. On a mission to Mexico. The tropics provide many, many valuable niches, all of which are filled by a brown bird. (laughs) Badham's hot take. So as far as we know, we are just as successful as Nat Geo and the New York Times. Yeah, take that to the bank. Yeah. (laughs) Big, yellow, almost like googly, goggly eyes and a massive mouth. Yeah, they're a night jar four days into a bender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are. There's people out there studying for years. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) I just solved it. (laughs) Our first guest in Mexico was Dr. Kathy Slater, head scientist of the expedition. We're going back to our chat with her for some bits that weren't included in that episode about the people who live in the forest and the threats the forest is under. One thing I wanted to ask about was, we were talking about conflict Mm. um, between particularly some of the the large mammals, the jaguars, uh, and local people. But got something that's sort of addressing that haven't you there's a there's a a, th- a project that you've been working on which is a really cool one yeah so um obviously you've um when you're trying to basically resolve this kind of conflict people aren't killing jaguars because they hate jaguars and people are not killing them for their skins or for any kind of sport hunting yeah. that doesn't go on here because of the importance placed on animals by the mind culture people are doing it out of desperation because all of their livestock gets eaten and that's their source of income and so what you really want to do is really reduce the amount of people that are focusing on livestock um, which is a terrible terrible idea here in Calak Mall anyway because it, it doesn't there's not enough water for your cows they need quite a lot of water if you chop down all the trees to create pasture the pasture doesn't grow yeah. it's really shitty quality shallow soil on a pile of rock yeah. uh, and so if you do grow grass it's such low quality you just get these skinny emaciated cows it creates huge amounts of fertilizer to try and keep it to grow and so environmentally it's a disaster but even worse it doesn't make any money for the communities either mm. uh, and then the land is wrecked so what you're going to do with it afterwards um And so here there is actually a solution which again goes back to using the advice of the ancient Mayans. Mm. And so the biggest uh, source of produce that the ancient Mayans in this region produced was honey. Um, So there are lots of endemic trees here in the Yucatan Peninsula uh, that have uh, unusually high sucrose concentration in the flowers. So when the bees feed on them, they have very, very sweet honey. Ah. But also there's one tree called the Chichen, it has an enzyme in it that means when the bees feed on it they produce honey that doesn't crystallize so you've got very very sweet honey that with a very long shelf life which is yeah. great yeah um and basically what do the bees want uh, the forest <laughs> because yeah. they live here anyway and so the strategy is that um you can have um people doing honey production we call it ecological organic honey production in the sense that you can't go and buy bees and stick them in the forest because that's introducing something Mm. you have to work with the bees that were already here which is great because there's a shitload of them and i think we should say a lot of beekeeping you know we're we're hearing so much shit about bees all the time and you know save the bees (laughs) blah 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 but a a lot of that also then gets tied up with honeybees and in the uk they're not a native Mm. species like you know beehives are full of a non-native species of bee Mm -hmm. which can be damaged to native species of bee but here they're only using the native species from the forest aren't which, they? which to be honest is a big old mix because yeah. even the ancient mines were trading bees 
Mm. Uh, and then the Spanish have rocked up. So there is indeed oh. European bees. But the point is, uh. there is this big, weird old mix. That's a whole study in itself. Yeah, what wow. are the bees of Calak Moor? Yeah. But it's a big old mix of bees. And yeah. so the point is, no one is adding to that mix. You've yeah. got to work with what's there. Uh, and so you basically get these wooden boxes, hang it from a tree with a bit of honey in to attract a queen, lower that box down and then make your hives from that. Mm. Um, but because it implies no introduction of species, no land use change, you can do it anywhere. And the reserve can actually give permits for communities to do it on the land that they don't own. Mm. So you can actually have your honey production going on inside the forest, inside the reserve on federally uh, owned land. Mm. So they're now earning money out of the forest, which isn't theirs, which is a really good incentive for not topping it down. Then on the actual farmland they've got, I used to think, well, we should get everyone to stop having livestock farming because it's a disaster and that's when it's always good to rely on people that know more about that stuff than you do which again mm. so those are colleagues at Pro Natura but in the Yucatan were the people who told me you can't tell everyone to get rid of cows cows are bank accounts I was like what and they were like well nobody here has a bank account because there are no <laughs> banks so it would be slightly pointless yep. but because no one's got a bank account no one has any kind of employment you're all basically subsistence you know farmers yeah. and stuff no one can get a loan and so everybody always needs to have at least some cows. If your truck breaks down, there's a problem in the house, someone gets sick, you've got hospital bills to pay, you sell a cow. And that's the way you get cash quickly. Wow. So liquid assets. Liquid assets <laughs> from yeah. cows. So yeah. you can never say to everybody, get rid of all your cows. What you want to do is say, well, well we only need emergency bank account cows <laughs> now. They're not using them as a main source of income. These are for emergency purposes only. Yeah. Which means if you've got much smaller numbers, you can get them as far away from the forest and as close to the village as possible. And as it's now a much smaller area, you can afford to get an electric fence around them, which will then reduce that Jaguar conflict. And then all of your land, which you were using huge areas for this cattle farming, mm-hmm. you can then start, A, growing food for your cows, mm-hmm. so they're actually reasonably well-fed and worth a lot if you need to sell them for, for you know for an emergency. Yeah. And then planting a mixture of native fruiting tree species, cro- uh, shade-grown crops like pepper, uh, works very well here. Uh, on your farmland, so you're earning kind of the money out of your, you've got your emergency cows, yeah. money out of your farmland, but at the same time you're earning money out to the forest from the bees uh, on the land that you don't own. And the honey production here earns, we did an analysis, and it earns, what, 3.6 times more money than cattle farming. So really you're just saying to everyone do you want to earn more money yeah this is how yeah. uh so so it's a really great solution actually yeah. for here and yeah. we saw an extraordinary video in the talk that you gave to the students oh, yesterday yeah. of um one of the local people esteban mm-hmm. yeah uh, his hives that he's got and just tell us what happened in that video oh so basically we, it, he was always commenting and a lot of the honey producers always comment on how many animals they see in the dry season and the reason being is they leave massive tanks of water out for the bees because uh, if you don't leave water for the bees they're like well I'm just not going to live here anymore and they just leave yeah. um, and so what happens is in the dry season particularly when there's droughts is all the animals learn right apiaries have, apiaries have got water um, and so you get a lot of animals visiting them but Esteban's apiary in particular there is a very large male jag that's just decided it's its hangout spot yeah. uh, and so Esteban accommodated multiple times oh I see jaguar tracks found here and they're pretty massive so we said oh let's stick up a camera yeah. uh, and see what we find and yes it's the, the same male that comes like, every day nearly every day every two days wow. drinks some water and then just kind of chills out conveniently right in front of the camera I, I was going to say it's a beautiful video and it's just like the perfect image to demonstrate the coexistence. Yeah, because the hives are behind him. You can see all the bees flying about and then there's a jaguar in front of it. Yeah. No conflict. Everything's working really nicely together. Yeah, so it's a it's a really cool video clip. It's a lovely that. clip. Yeah. And yeah. what's the jaguar's name? 
Mick. <laughs> Mick Jaguar. Mick Jagger. Yeah. Did you name <laughs> it's a him? Pretty, uh, actually, it was one of my one of my uh, colleagues that did, actually. But when he came up with the name, I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. that's stuck now. Yeah. 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 Can I ask about the cows and the bank accounts? Yes. And the it strikes me as what must be quite a hard conversation to have mm-hmm. to say to someone, have fewer assets. Yes. Is that a conversation you have or is that one led by Pro Natura? And just sort of how, how do you actually convince that? How do you get it? Yeah, it's actually, and actually you're, you, it's really one of the most difficult things about getting people to go into honey production because they're like, I can't tie up a bee and make it yeah. stay there. Yeah. Uh, so they're always worried that, well, I'm going to invest in bees and then they'll just leave and then I've got nothing. Yeah. And yeah. so it is a bit difficult. What you kind of have to do really is start with the bees first. So they've all still got the cows. Right. Do you see what I mean? Start yeah. with the bees first and then get them to understand that as long as you, you've got to know your forest, you've got to know all the different tree species that flower, you've got to monitor them, uh, you know, kind of on a weekly basis, what's flowering, what mm. isn't. If there isn't enough flowers around, you not only do you not extract the honey, but you need to feed your bees. And so they need to eat their honey to stay alive. Otherwise, they'll leave and go somewhere else that's got flowers. You've yeah. got to maintain water. So you do need to look after your bees in the same way as you would do that any animal. It needs food and it needs water mm. yeah. uh, and needs shelter. But once people realise that and realise how profitable, particularly here, the honey production is, then it's easier to kind of move away from that. And they also, a lot of them really do understand that they, they're not, the people here aren't stupid. They know they need electric fences. They know their cows are skinny and, yeah. and are not worth yeah. very much. They just don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you often need kind of uh, an injection of cash to be honest, to yeah. be able to be set up with these kind of new new ways forward. And the problem is if you're living hand to mouth, how do you do that? Or yeah. someone says, do you want yeah. to retrain and learn how to do honey production? All right, but how do I not work in my field and have any food to eat while I'm learning to do that? Yeah. So people are caught in a bit of a cycle yeah. that is difficult to get out of, basically. So every, most people, when you talk to them, they 100% know what they need to do. They just don't have their money to do it. Yeah is the reality how long has the honey um project been running so the the honey project was already in existence before we got here so we can't uh we can't the jaguar (sighs) honey which is the new brand we're developing that was totally mine and esteban's brainchild when we were looking at that video (laughs) going "Ooh, bees and jaguars are the same colors (laughs) that works really nicely doesn't it Mm. um but no the honey production is a big thing with the conamp the government Department for Protected Areas and Pro Natura and other actors in this region have been really pushing mm. as kind of the, the sustainable uh, alternative. Uh, and the fact that it is drier here helps because if you have a very, very humid climate, it actually affects the quality of the of the honey. Right. Um, so if you went into the Amazon, for example, it's not as easy to produce honey as it is here. Ah. So this is the perfect climate for honey oh, production. Yeah. So again, the ancient minds weren't stupid. That's yeah. what they were focusing on because yeah. it's the most successful thing to do here. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's been around for for probably maybe about 15 years or so 15 20 years but they've been gradually uh, kind of developing it further and further with different communities yeah fantastic this next interview needed jack and i to bring in a translator we've edited around some of the longer answers we hope it all flows for you we are now joined by not one but two guests yeah for this next bit Mm -hmm. first time ever first time ever first time ever also requiring translation yeah yeah this is a step into the unknown for how many geese (laughs) exactly so we'll see how this goes but we're very excited to welcome back molly hello off of bats off of bats (laughs) yeah and welcome to esteban 
Uh, buenos dias. Buenos. Now, Esteban, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you got involved with Operation Molosea? ¿Quieren saber quién sos y cómo empezaste con Operación Molosea? Bueno, yo soy un chico que vino del estado de Veracruz en la zona centro-norte del, de la República Mexicana. Yo so it's a lot a... to translate. <laughs> <laughs> es mucho para traducir, así que voy a capaz tener que preguntarte unas cosas. Sí. Okay. Um, so Esteban is from the state of Veracruz, which is in the center of Mexico. And in 2008, he moved to Campeche, which is the state that we're in at the moment. And he started off, so he started working at the archaeological site and archaeological restoration of oh. the Mayan ruins. So then he met a family that live in Conguas, which is un pueblo. Es elegido de Conguas, sí, el pueblo. Yeah, so which is a small town here. And they invited him to work with the honey production. So that's how he learned about apiculture. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he met Oliverio. Conociste Oliverio? Conocí Oliverio. And so he met Oliverio, who works for Operation Wallacea with like uh, resource management and bringing water and supplies and things like that. And Oliverio invited him to come and work at Operation Wallacea to help with some tree identification right. because Esteban had worked with some biologists who were doing their master's projects on the forest here. And then, uh, yeah, he was really good at it. <laughs> and they invited him to come back and keep working with them permanently to do the tree ID. Cool. And he learned about mammal identification um, of the tracks and sounds. And he got really good at that as well. He's one of mammíferos. Pues este, ahora estoy con lo que es este monitoreo de cámara trampa. Oh, con el doble. No, este, empecé, este, pues me metí de lleno a trabajar con el proyecto de, con el maestría de Cristina, que estuvo aquí con ah, la operación sí, Wallacea. Sí, con mamíferos. En, y ahora pues yo me dedico a instalar las camas trampa de operación mm-hmm. Wallacea con Katy. Okay, so then um, he met Christina, who was a master's student here, and she was studying the mammal population of Clackmull using camera traps. And he learned how to use the camera traps with her, and again, um, learned a new skill and was able to apply that to keep working with Operation Wallacea. <laughs> and he also met Katty as well, who's the lead scientist, and yeah. Yeah, got on really well with her. And Yeah, so he's kept coming back. So he does a bit of everything. A bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> a man of many trades. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and does he make all of his money, all of his living from the honey? Mm-hmm. Or does he have other bits going on, on still? The side. Yeah. yeah. Así que tus ganancias son solo de la producción del miel o vienen de otras cosas también? Ahora. Uh-huh. Ahora pues este mis ganancias pues son de la producción de miel y pues también trabajo este lo que es la agricultura, pero familiar solamente para autoconsumo. Uh-huh. Sí, y pues no tengo en, este otra entrada más que lo que producimos de miel. Este año nos fue muy mal uh-huh. por causa de las sequías y pues hubo muy poca producción, solo tuve una producción como de unos cerca de media tonelada de miel uh-huh. y fue toda nuestra cosecha de este año en mi familia. So he says that he lives completely off the honey production, but also he has a small holding with his family and what they grow is just for them mm. um, to keep like to sustain them. Um, mm. And then he said because of the drought this year, the honey production's actually gone really badly. They were only oh. able to harvest half a ton of honey. Ah. And yeah, it's been a tough year because of that. What's the usual amount of honey? Um, ¿Cuál es la cantidad de normal de miel que cosechas? El por año? año pasado cose- me fue muy bien. 
este, tuve una producción de 2 toneladas 600 kilos, solo yo, uh -huh. en mi casa, no con tanto los de mi demás familia, o sea, hermanos de mi esposa, uh -huh. todos, nos, todos nos dedicamos a lo que es la apicultura. Uh -huh. Solo yo saqué 2 toneladas 600 kilos. So last year he only had. Es el promedio que siempre saco. He harvested 2 tons and 600 kilos of honey. Wow. But that was Now and that's like his ton. average and he says that he works with the brothers of his wife and so like they all like kind of club together in Collective. it. So between them like it was a lot more than that. So yeah, it's been a, a tough so year. So it's gone down a lot. Yeah. yeah. We've seen an incredible video of the jaguar lounging in front of Esteban's hives <laughs> and we just wondered how what's the story of that jaguar how regularly does he see it or them because it's an absolutely amazing video yeah. of it just lounging okay están preguntando sobre el video del jaguar que está tirado a frente de tus abejas y quieren saber si lo ves muy frecuentemente o ¿Cuál es la historia de ese Jaguarate? ¿Sigue visitándote mucho? Bueno, este, el, el punto está así. Vinimos a hacer instalación de cámaras trampas para lo del proyecto de Cristina. In 2012 to 2014, there was a really, really bad drought. Mm -hmm. And they had um, like small water like troughs for the bees in their apiaries so the bees could drink. And they had drums of 200 liters of water where they would like store it for the bees. But they were so tall that the other animals couldn't reach them. And in the drought, lots of animals died. So he was going on um, routine revisions around the forest with the local government to see how the animals were doing in the drought. Mm -hmm. And they found lots of tapirs that had died. Mm -hmm. And they also found that the tapirs were knocking over the water drums to try and get the water and then just spilling it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so after that, they in 2017, they installed um, like proper troughs so all the different mammals could drink. And then um, I think, in Kenya, fue el proyecto de Cristina? Fue en el 18. Uh -huh. So in 2018, when he was helping the master's student with her mammal project, uh, they were putting camera traps up at these troughs to monitor what mammals were coming to them. And also the BBC wanted to put out some camera traps. Um, so Cathy and Esteban put those out at um, the apiaries of his family to see what mammals were coming there. And they found a huge diversity of things were coming just because the iguadas were drying up and there wasn't enough water for them. So then this jaguar started to visit and they put um, two camera traps in his his apiary and one of um, the family of his wife and then they saw the jaguar pass through the the brother of his wife's apiary uh -huh. and then it came and sat down in Esteban. Uh -huh. it's just amazing but he said that they're trying to make sure that the troughs of water that they're putting out are low enough so that even really small mammals like rats and possums and agoutis and packers can come and drink as well as the bigger things do they get any like extra help from the government to supply water for the other animals like why not just keep it i mean it's great to help but like why not just keep it big for his bees like mm -hmm. does he get help for helping the smaller animals yeah um el gobierno te, da, te ayuda um financieramente para poner ese agua por los otros animales no pero todos los hacen igual este no todos solo este los que estamos trabajando con lo que es la miel orgánica 
Okay, so he says like they've known this jaguar has been around the area for about eight years and with the camera traps they saw just how important the water was for it and they even saw um, its mate with cubs coming as well and he said that the government doesn't give them any financial support to do it but the people that um, within his organic honey cooperation they realized just how important it was for the animals and then there's a local biologist called Carlos Delgado Carlos Delgado, Carlos who's also he's doing a project on how water troughs at um, apiaries is helping the different mammals in the area. So that's persuaded a lot of local people to start putting out water troughs as well to give them an extra that's hand. Cool. So that's yeah, really nice. It's, it's a really it's cool. a big help in a drought. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So speaking of the honey, speaking of the honey, we mm-hmm. have some of Esteban's honey, mm-hmm. and we just thought we'd try some. We do <laughs> another first for the podcast, a live food tasting. Yeah, <laughs> in the presence of the man himself. So, mm-hmm. Roddy is opening the jar. <laughs> Jack, do you want to take your spoon? We're going in. How much? How much honey? That's that. No, it's that gonna one. win a country, that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna wait for you, Roddy. Oh, it's Ronnie. Oh, it's very runny. Okay, yeah. ready? Yep, ready. Three, two, two one. one. <laughs> Fuck, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. That's sensational. I'm going to have another bit. I'm going to oh go back for more. <laughs> <laughs> it's this so nice. That, yeah. It's very sweet. It's like, I don't know. That's the best honey I've ever had. Yeah. Entendiste? Que es el mejor miel que he probado en su vida? Es que la que tenemos aquí en Calakmul. Es la más amada. That's just normal. It's the most loved. Yes, compliments to the bees. Yeah. Dice complementos a las abejas. That's, um, yeah. Sí, de hecho, este, nosotros para alimentar lo que es la abeja, utilizamos su misma miel. ¿Para qué? Para alimentarlas en tiempo de hambruna. Sí, nosotros empezamos a alimentar este a partir de mediados de julio. Hasta enero. So he says in periods when the, the bees are hungry, they actually feed them their own honey. So that's between July hasta sí. de julio a enero. To, to January. So they feed the bees the honey uh-huh. in times when there isn't enough flowers in the forest. Yeah. Those are very lucky bees. Y le colocamos de su misma miel. Ya que nosotros estamos trabajando con lo que es la miel orgánica, nos aceptan y nos permiten meter lo que es fructosa o azúcar. Ajá porque puede contener algunos químicos. So because it's organic honey, they can't feed the bees sugar or fructose because it could have other chemicals in it, mm. so they have to feed them their own honey. Oh, so that that is made just purely from the 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 nectar from the flowers of the forest. Así que Nothing added. Miel está hecho solo por las flores del bosque. Sí. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think that's it from us. Well, we just have one last question. Oh, we do have one last question. <laughs> Which for a, a man of the forest and a man who's fought bulls, I'm quite uh, interested to see the answer. Uh, Esteban, we would like to know, what is the biggest animal you think you could beat in a fight? Esto es una pregunta que han preguntado a todos. Y quieren saber cuál es el animal más grande que pudiste ganar en una pelea. Que podrías ganar. No weapons, no <laughs> tools. El animal. Sí, solo con tus manos. <laughs> He's thinking. Más grande que pude ganarle a una pelea. Sí. He's in deep thought. This deep is thought. A lot of thought. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, someone taking the question seriously. Fue un, 
El más grande fue un cerdo. ¿Peleaste con un cerdo? Es que se escapó y estaba como loco. Uh -huh. Se escapó de su corral, estaba como loco y este no me quedó opción más que botármelo encima y lo agarré del cuello y lo boté hacia el suelo, pero me di vuelta junto con él y me aplastó, pero no lo solté y este y tuve que retenerlo ahí hasta uh -huh. que me ayudaron a sostenerlo entre cuatro personas. The universal symbol for put it in a headlock. <laughs> era, era un cerdo como de 120 kilos. It was 220 grams, uh, kilos, sorry, kilos, yeah. not yeah. grams. Okay, so this is a real fight story. Oh, um, a real fight a story. A real okay. fight story um, with a, a pig that apparently was going absolutely crazy and there was nothing he could do but jump on top of it, get it into a headlock <laughs> and bring it to the ground <laughs> until somebody could help him and it weighed 220 kilos. That's a big pig. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This man has actually lived this scenario. Yeah, we've... Could you let Esteban know that we've asked everyone this question and he's the only person to have actually fought the animal? Okay. <laughs> Han preguntado a todos esta pregunta y vos sos el único que actualmente has peleado con su animal. Sí, de hecho, <laughs> cuando estaba más pequeño, cuando tenía, creo que era 13 años, uh -huh. me he peleado con este, una oveja, uh -huh. pero es que esa oveja tenía por pegarla a las personas que caminaban por la calle porque estaba dentro del pueblo pero estaba suelta okay. y golpeaba a las personas con uh -huh. su cabeza y un día yo este lo reté uh -huh. y rebotamos mi frente con su frente del animal y este los dos nos caímos al uh -huh. suelo pero sí me salió una gotita de sangre en la nariz uh -huh. pero fue todo ya no me volvió a atacar el animal okay. creo que cada respeto por haberlo atacado de frente como a su especie another another animal fight story oh, okay. this is okay. our bread and butter set the scene yeah. we're in Esteban's village yep. he's 13 years old Ooh. there's this crazy sheep that just decided <laughs> headbutts everybody in the village but then one day Esteban headbutts him back <laughs> 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 Esto lo hice porque le quería pegar a mis hermanos, eran más pequeños, Aww. que es Andrés y Felipe, mis dos hermanos que han venido mm -hmm. aquí una vez. Mm -hmm. y que, el que vino uh, hoy. Sí, el que vino yeah. y ya está. Ajá, los que so vinieron. he wanted to protect his younger siblings that oh. were with him, so he did it. And he said he got a small nosebleed, but after that the animal never tried to do it again, the sheep. <laughs> Give it a taste of its own medicine, it's yeah. the last thing it expected. Lo más loco que he hecho. Big Five Roundup time. Hey, you didn't know it was coming and neither did we, but here we are. Here we are, Big Five Roundup. So, for anyone who has just started listening, if you go back to, and I'm saying this not knowing what episode it's going to be in, but I'm going to guess episode one slash two of this, or just listen to them all again. But somewhere in the early episodes, Jack and I came down with our Big Five for our time in the Mexican jungle. Things we wanted to see. They were... Tapia. Yep. False vampire bat. Yep. Ferdelance. Yep. Jazzy insect. Yep. And a jazzy bird. Yep. Now. How are we doing? Tapir. Scores on the doors. Bing! <laughs> <laughs> Tick 
and done. Yeah. Anything more to say about that? Uh, just that it was great. Like, we saw a tapir in the wild. Yeah, and it blew bubbles under the water, and that was lovely, so it was called Bubbles. Yeah, yeah. Big fan. I The biggest animal in Central America. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. Well, land. Yeah. Because there's always something there's in the manatees sea. and shit. It, there's always something in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you think, Yeah. there's, there's always, always something in the yeah. sea. But that was great, yeah, to see a tapir, one of, like, the, you know, South American megafauna, big, yeah. cool animal. That's, like, a really nice life tick. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say from there, mm. success dipped. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> quite hard. Yeah. Bat success. Yeah, minimal. Yeah, no false vampire bat. The, we saw the, many bats. Lots of bats, lots of great bats. But not not that bat. The big daddy. The wolf of the night sky. Yeah, the one that uh, the bat team told us about. Yeah. yeah. The absolute apex predator yeah. of the dark. Hell on wings. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Meatloaf, when he wrote Bat Out of Hell, didn't know that yeah. out there was the false vampire. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But... Yeah, yeah, uh, an absolutely astonishing creature. I'd say it's the only one of the big five to have a proper anthem back in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, soundtrack. But it evades us. It does. I would have really liked to have seen that one. Delighted to say, however, mm. neither Nat Geo nor the New York Times suck it. <laughs> got to see one either. Yeah. As best we know. So as far as we know, we are just as successful as Nat Geo and the New York Times. Yeah, take that to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Next up. Uh, let's go for Ferdelance. Yeah. No joy. Ferdelance, the venomous viper that we were hoping to see. Evaded us. Didn't even see a false Ferdelance. Nope. No fur was delanced. <laughs> <laughs> All lances remained unfurred. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's put some herpetofauna that we did see yeah. on the board. Yep. Can I start with silly one? Yep. The silly little burrowing toad. Yep. I'm going to say that that's my best herp. Yeah. So after, so we're replacing. So tapir remains. Yep. Bat is just kind of miscellaneous bat. Yeah. No, actually, I know the bat which has taken my bat place on one of the camps here. There are these little huts. And there's a bat living in the roof of one, so yeah. you can just go and sit there and look up at him or her, and she looks back at you. She's got a lovely face, and she can be the yeah. uh, hot bat. Yeah, hot I went bat. to see hot bat yesterday, and it cheered me up. Hot bat, exactly. So no false vampire. Yes, hot bat. Hot bat. No Ferdelance, one of the most venomous, angriest, sort of deadliest snakes on the planet. Yeah. Yes to the Mexican burrowing toad, one of the silliest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like a ball of plasticine with legs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what else have we seen herp-wise, though? I saw a cool snake. I saw a tiger snake thing. That's cool. That I was told, and that was quite big and stripy. Uh, that was fun. Okay, herp roundup done. Insects. Now, I would say that this has been a strong field. Yeah. For jazzy insects. There's been. A, I would say the problem with the field, though, is we have been entirely unsuccessful in mm. catching any of them. Yeah. Yeah. But we've seen them. Oh, they've passed us by. The jungle is full of many and varied... Six-legged beasts. Yeah, yeah. Or six legs and above. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we've seen some amazing butterflies. Yeah. Lest we forget spit bucket creature. Yeah. <laughs> which Holly told was a moth larvae, a uh, moth caterpillar. Yeah. Um, we have seen... Oh, we've seen some amazing moth 
caterpillars, but like big fat ones, more of your standard caterpillar shape. Yeah. Your regulation caterpillar. Yeah. Very much adhering to the rule book. Yeah. We have seen... uh, Very jazzy millipede. Jazzy millipedes. We've seen beetles of all shapes and sizes. Many shapes. We've seen... Many sizes. Assassin bugs. And remain unassassinated. Yeah. Yeah. Come at us. Yeah. Uh, Unless we've got chagas disease and all our organs fail in 10 years but we'll skim over that yeah in which case checkmate <laughs> assassin bugs um what else but i think we i think we have a winner for our jazzy insect don't we did it pass us by in a grassy field it did pass us by in a grassy field we were overtaken at pace by a green red yellow flash of four inches of grasshopper yeah yeah. which was just like metallic green on its body with yeah. yellow spots and yeah. then the wings of a butterfly. Yeah. Red, just proper crimson red wings. Yeah. Yeah, jazzy insect. I'm happy to nail that one to the board as our jazzy insect. And lastly, the jazzy bird. Jazzy bird. I am going to say, okay, as the bird guy, I think the birds let us down a little bit. Yeah. In terms of the ones that we caught, because we were hoping for like to catch a toucan or something like that in the hand yeah mop mop with its big long tail and silly spatulas on the end yeah um alas but as we have mentioned poor yorick they are brown yeah um there are some there are some that are red there are some cool red ones but yeah the ones that we have caught we have heard of other people catching mop mots yeah we have heard of other people catching toucanets we've heard of other people catching aracaris yeah yet not for us <laughs> um team goose we remains. have seen the royal flycatcher yep i did get to briefly see one in the hand yep uh with its big fan head that was yep. good but i think our jazzy bird has to um because i think we originally said on our big five that we wanted to see it in the hand yeah but i think our big five we have to look beyond the realms of the human palm well I can put a bird that was in the hand on the board. Okay. It's the silliest bird, mm. the long-billed gnat wren. That was a silly bird. But it was very silly, not jazzy. Yeah. Okay. I think if we just adjust the adjust the rankings then. Yeah. Because it was an extraordinary bird. Yeah. But for very silly reasons. Yeah. So that is the final entry. Mm. However, expanding it to encompass all birds and jazzy, what were you going to say? I, I, like the, I like the anti-toucan. The collared aracaris. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Or actually, uh Yucatan endemic. Oh. Your friend and mine. Who? The oscillated turkey. Oh I'm not with you. <laughs> I like the oscillated turkey. I I thought they were good. There is there's actually a few big birds that we missed out. There's the oscillated turkey, there's the crested guan, which we saw at the ruins up in the big tree. That could be mine. Uh, and I have seen the great curacao, which is like stuffing two guans inside each other. Like it's huge. Yeah. Like it's massive, the curacaos. I would take either the crested guan for size. Yeah. I would take the owls we saw. Oh, the cute little owls. Screech out. Just, you know, wanted to see an owl. Saw yep. an owl. Tick, boom, done. Yeah. Um, Fun favourite. I would take, if we're expanding it even one further which we probably shouldn't, but we did see a black-headed trogon early days in our time in Mexico. We did, yeah. And that was very cool. That was nice. Um, yeah. 
But the one thing I am most certain of in my life is that chakalakas oh. can get fucked. <laughs> oh, they're so annoying. Yeah. I can't defend them. It's like a shit jungle chicken that screams you awake. <laughs> and it, I swear to God, listener, it is the most grating sound. It'd turn any vegan. <laughs> Back to meat. <laughs> Into a ruthless bird-eating carnival. Yeah. So, yeah. big five, moderate success. Yeah. Chachalakas, get in the bin. Yeah, right in the bin. So, Kathy, one of the other stories going on in this area is you've got the drought, but there's also this big building project happening here, which is the construction of this train mm-hmm. around the Yucatan Peninsula. I just wondered if we could get your thoughts on that. So around Kalak Mall for, for, for a long, long time, uh, obviously the ancient mines had then kind of sort of abandoned, but there wasn't really many, many people living around here. And so um, in Chiapas, uh, in the kind of the, one of the neighbouring states, when they were forming Montes Azules Biosphere Reserve, which was in the kind of the early 80s, um, they, a lot of people were relocated. Well, they, it wasn't like forced relocations, but they were offered more lands if they wanted to move out to this area uh, um, for, for farming. And so a lot of people took them up and relocated. What people failed to tell them is, by the way, it's not the same climate and good luck doing farming there. Um, So it wasn't really the best thought out plan. Um, And then a lot of people have moved from Chiapas over to the very south bits of of Calakmul, where it is indeed a more humid climate. But then they formed a Calakmul Biosphere Reserve. And so a lot of people, they were like, oh, sorry, no, you can't be in that bit. You've got to get out and move them further north, where it really is really difficult to do farming so a lot of the communities here have already had a bit of a rough ride Uh, some of them have been here for a long time others not so much Um, and a lot of people like I said in this region their first language is Mayan their second language is Spanish Uh, some people if you ask them are you Mexican or Mayan they would say Mexican but a lot of people here would say Mayan Mm. Mayan de corazón no and they're they're, they're proud of it too do you know what I mean Um, and so when you say the Tren Maya you're kind of taking the name of the Mayans you know, yeah. for your Mayan train, which would make you think it will benefit Mayan communities, which was, I suppose, the general plan. So how do I feel about the the, the Tren Maya or the Mayan train? Conceptually, not the worst idea ever. OK, it, there isn't really affordable transportation around the, this, this area. It is difficult for very difficult for people to get their produce to market. Everybody relies on middlemen and gets kind of shitty prices for their, for, for, for their agricultural products. So having a train that would enable people to get more merchandise to, to market and to be able to move around is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. They are promising to keep the prices very low for, 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 for Mexicans to be able to use it. And if you've got like a train track, yes, you are. Obviously, there's going to be some deforestation for a train track, of course, but it's not a huge area. And if you had lots of wildlife passes over it and under it and stuff, you could mitigate that, which was the original plans. Mm. Then you come to the implementation, Mm. which has just been a monumental shit show. So it's just like, right, let's just dig a hole in the jungle here. Oh, no, it's in the wrong place. Oops, let's go somewhere else. And it's just been so 
badly implemented that there's been huge amounts of deforestation that wasn't even necessary Mm. Um, they haven't really done all the necessary environmental impact studies for like stupid reasons like in other parts of the Yucatan Peninsula you've got these underground rivers everywhere and and cenotes these sinkholes so there are many places if you try to put a train over that it will collapse (laughs) and people will die (laughs) and so you would think well we should figure out where we can put a train first before we start now mowing down bits you know areas of the jungle but they didn't they were all doing it at the same time and then you mow down those jungle and go oh shit no we can't put a train there All right, let's go in that direction so it's implementation has been uh, pretty horrific. There were a lot of promises that were made to a lot of communities here about the benefits of having that train. And I I don't think they're going to actually see all the benefits that they were promised. Um, So it was supposed to be, it will bring tourists and we'll have investment into your villages. But then they're building separate hotels that aren't owned by these communities in different areas. Mm. Uh, do you know what I mean? Which isn't yeah. going to bring the people to these villages that, that has been promised. So as an idea, I, don't, I think it was actually not that bad. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like the way it's been implemented. Um, do I hope that it works? Unfortunately, yes, because otherwise all this destruction has been for nothing. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of got to hope that it is actually going to work now. Um, but, you know, for the purpose of tourism, do we want more tourism here? Kind of yes or no. Like, you don't want huge numbers of people in an area where there is no water. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to manage that? Yeah. Um, and so, and they are building an aqueduct to bring water from, from a lagoon elsewhere, but you're not making more water. Yeah. You're just causing a problem for other people that used to have lots of water and are now not going to have lots of water because yeah. they're going to send it all here. So... I just um, I'm not convinced that yeah. it's been the best the best idea. Yeah. To and be I honest. think at the moment as well, going up and down the highways, you can see that each of the small villages gets some little kick out of you know people on the on the roadside selling fruit and veg, and there mm-hmm. must be small hotels or hostels, maybe not hostels, but you know accommodation sites around the place. And then turning that into one centralised hotel is surely just going to cut out any opportunities yeah. for the villages and do. a train that just goes straight to, past them all to mm-hmm. actually benefit from the existing tourism which is happening here. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's uh, I mean there is a it, it we'll have to to see how it all pans out in the end Mm. but I think if it was just the train and didn't have all these additional hotels and things and stuff that these communities didn't own it wouldn't be that bad but we'll have to see how it all pans out in the end but yes a lot of promises were made about how well it was going to benefit these people in the same way that promises were made about how amazing Cancun was going to benefit people the reality is you end up cleaning toilets Mm. or being do you know what I mean or or, or, you know cleaning rooms Uh, and and for the pin that's the people who used to own that land and that's all they're doing now and so I'd kind of hoped it would be a bit better here yeah um but we'll have to see what happens so you hope it works but you wouldn't be sad if it disappeared into the jungle like the mine ruins well yeah (laughs) basically um yes and the reality is that we're not seeing the wildlife passes that they promised were going to be there either so it's essentially uh dividing the reserve in half that's already got a road going through it Mm. um so so yes i think there'll have to be a lot of extra work done afterwards to fix a lot of stuff which is always fixable but the money's got to come from somewhere yeah Yeah. Mm. do you think there would be scope or 
do you think there'd be amenable to putting in wildlife bridges later down the line? I mean, I'd, yeah. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea how much a wildlife bridge costs in Mexico. Oh, so. <laughs> millions, millions yeah. of dollars. Um, yeah. If you can do these cheap ones, but a bit like drainage tunnels, yeah. uh, and things like Jaguar will walk through them. They are basically top of the food chain. Mm. So they're like, thanks, I'll walk through here. Yeah. But none of their prey will, because they're like, I'm not going to go through a trap tunnel that might have <laughs> yeah. a Jaguar in it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's... A Jaguar's it, just putting up signs, exactly. coming here, yeah, come this way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And obviously, if you're a primate that lives in a tree, how's that going to help yeah. you? Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, to do the real type of wildlife pass that you need those ones when it's just you didn't do you know what I mean like it's vegetation trees yeah, everything that you've got over the top of it and yeah. you could go over the train track and over the road mm. but they are millions Begging. that's the thing so that money's got to come from somewhere yeah. Jack Roddy it's the last day it's the last day and I would like to ask for Jack Badhams's bird roundup. Oh, here we go. Bird round Badhams's bird roundup. Yeah. What have we seen? What's what have, the goss? We've seen a lot. I actually counted up my species. Who's uh, hot, who's not? Uh, well, since we've been here for 2 weeks. Yep. Uh, I've seen I counted them up and we're on like 50 something species that I've seen. Wow. It's not bad. I'm pretty pleased with that. Pretty because solid. When you're in the jungle, you hear a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and one of the birders here, who's running the bird surveys, Chris, he's he's on like 141 species, but he he includes sacrilegiously birds heard on that list. It's called bird watching for a reason, Chris. Sorry, I asked for the bird gossip, and yeah. this is the, the <laughs> this is the bird tea. <laughs> this is what you're getting. Um, this is the bird tea. Um, I tell you what, we did here today. Actually, we mm-hmm. heard a potu. Oh, that's a mad bird. That's a mad bird. That is, um, you guys listening may be familiar with potus uh, from the memes, yep. where they look like some sort of Muppet bird. They're a bit like a nightjar, like an owly sort of thing, but they have big yellow, almost like googly goggly eyes and a massive mouth. Yeah, they're a nightjar four days into a bender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. That's what a potu is. <laughs> that's what, so we heard one of those this morning. That was cool. But um, in terms of best bird scene, I mean, I am a big fan of the bat falcons. We've mentioned bat falcons. Yep. Like the bat falcons. Toucans are always a good time. Yep. Like you're in the jungle, you're seeing a toucan. Who can? You can. Yeah. <laughs> and the parrots as well. Oh, I tell you what though, um, the anti-toucan we're a oh. big fan of the anti-toucan. You've seen it as well, haven't the you? The Colodaracari. The Colodaracari, which is like a smaller toucan, but it's like black and red and, yeah, like the devil's toucan. If anyone listening has seen Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and at the end, Scott Pilgrim fights Nega Scott, yeah. which is like the inverse colour Scott Pilgrim, mm. this is what that bird is to toucans. Yeah, that's a Colodaracari. Yeah. yeah. So they're cool. That's been a good bird. We saw the long-billed Nat Wren. We did. Which was a silly little thing. Yeah. Picture a wren, feed it gnats, take its bill, make it long. Like a a, a bill that seemed like as long as its body, which was just silly. That was a daft bird. As was the stub-tailed spade bill. Equally daft. Stub-tail, spade bill. Daft. (laughs) Silly. Not having it. (laughs) Um, All the hummingbirds, great. Yep. Tick, tick on the hummingbird front. Fan of them. Yeah, they're awesome. The um, green jays that we've been seeing around camp. They're nice. They're really nice. They are, you know, people see them and they think they are 
you know, some sort of parrot or something like that because they've got a blue head, they've got green, they've got yellow, really, really colourful. It's a spicy magpie. Yeah, it's a very spicy magpie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, we saw an owl. We saw an owl, yeah. We saw the um, screech owl. I said offhand, I wanted to see an owl. A few days later, saw an owl. Behold. Make your dreams come <laughs> true. Um, what else for Badham's bird roundup? Um, I think, you know, the thing is, I can't remember if I've said this before, you come to the tropics, you think everything's going to be brightly coloured, you open the bird book and it's like 14 pages of brown wrens. There's a vast number of dull birds here. Yeah, wood creepers. Yeah. And, you know, they talk... Leave the wood alone. <laughs> you stop creeping on it. It's 2023. <laughs> Get with the space. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the tropics provide many, many valuable niches all of which are filled by a brown bird <laughs> badham's hot take that's eight phds boiled down to a single <laughs> sentence there's people out there studying for years stop yeah <laughs> i just solved it <laughs> whatever you're looking for there's a small brown bird doing it yeah. and once you've found it no one else wants to see it um i think that's yeah i think that's all of, all of our good birds and most importantly most mm. critically on this expedition Mm. no geese oh, not a single goose not a single goose we have come to the worst possible place on earth so if anyone out there runs expeditions to goose heavy lands <laughs> yeah. just know we're all ears. that our search continues I think it's time we took a moment mm this may have something from the studio slash Inglaterra uh-huh. after it, just mm. to say a final thanks. The motherland. But whilst we are sat in the forest on our last day, to just reflect yeah. on our time here. Yeah. It's been wild. Yeah. It's been amazing. Yep. And yeah, tomorrow morning we leave the jungle and go back into the real world. Yeah. A world of air conditioning and internet and tacos tacos yeah yeah and but we leave behind forest forest and jaguars and toucans and mayan ruins and beans every day yeah <laughs> tarantulas on the way to your tent yeah um but yeah it's been quite something any particular thoughts that have lodged in your brain while we've been here because i've got one that's really stuck with me I've got one, but it's not necessarily light slash silly. No, neither's mine. So it might be the same thing. Mine is about the forest and its history and the people. Oh, mine is about... Oh, very yin and yang. Mine is about the forest and the people and its future. Oh, okay. Should I say mine then? Because it yeah. sounds like they might follow on. Yeah. So what, I was, what I've been amazed to learn while we've been here is you know calicmore biosphere is huge it's colossal and it's looks on the face of it to be this pristine untouched forest and then you get here and then you learn about the mayans that lived here and you learn about the cities that they built not that long ago um 
that housed like you know 50,000 people and they built these huge buildings and they were farmers and they changed the forest and they planted all these fruit trees and how still now you can see their impacts on the land and how you can see how they changed the forest to like I say have more fruit trees and how that's benefited wildlife but also how this forest then swallowed up their civilization Mm. and you walk through it and you would think it was pristine forest yeah and there are stories now coming out of other large forests you know the amazon forest as it's being deforested we're now seeing the foundations of ancient civilizations and for me i think it gives me a lot of hope with how quick these ecosystems can bounce back Mm -hmm. um because obviously this would have looked very very different back in the day when the mayans were at their peak and the forest has just swallowed it all back up to such an extent that we thought that it was untouched by humans for a long time um and it's now home to all the all the animals again and also interesting how that the human civilization here ultimately made it better with the cultivation of fruit trees and putting more food into the forest for these animals and how they manipulated some of the ponds here to hold more water through times of drought so for me my big lesson has been to really re not rethink but bend nature to your whim more (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just changed my opinion or changed my perception on human influence in nature now that's not me completely absolving all the shit that we're doing now but just how we immediately go humans in nature equals bad Mm. here it's a it's a much more complex story of how human past has affected nature future but also how quickly human past disappeared once Mm -hmm. nature was able to rampage back through and claim this land for itself good reflection that's my reflection that's a good reflection do you want to hear my reflection of course i do my reflection is like you said going on from that and i should probably just respond to yours actually before starting my whole thing i guess to respond to yours i would agree Mm. i would say that i came here very excited for the wildlife and all of the natural elements of what this expedition was going to offer natural as in natural world i had no idea how much i would be absorbed by the maya Mm. i i don't know why i don't think i'm alone in this in the uk i'd never thought much about the maya before yeah i think that's fair (laughs) i think listener you've probably not thought much about the maya either yeah but hopefully at the end of these episodes you may have thought about them once or twice but yeah as jack has said an entire city an entire civilization in the forest but one of the things for me though is that it's not gone because we have literally heard mayan spoken yeah and we have sat alongside mayan people yeah and you know i don't mean that to not trivialize or idolize them or anything but it's just again you know you hear these like oh the spanish and everyone went there and fucked up everything that was there and yeah that did you know yeah everyone's aware of that bit of history but it's still alive yeah and they're still here and that's been quite amazing to see an ancient civilization but then those people guiding you around it in some way 
it's been very very cool and to see the relationships they have with the forest and how they're doing now and the work being done to adapt the farming practices and ensure that they've got livelihoods which work and everything else and it's just been yeah fascinating to see i came here thinking it'd be wildlife and green things which captured me and they did it was here but it was very much the people and the history of the place which which really got me and what was really cool about the when we were talking to you know people like kathy and when we spoke Mm. to ezekiel Mm. we heard how like the mayans beliefs yeah and like the gods of the forest and the animal gods and things like that are still you know like you say this isn't an extinct way of life yeah it's a modernized way of life and it's no longer you know how we picture it when we think of the maya of the past but the mayans are still here yeah they still hold some of those very core beliefs yeah um it's very wound up with nature yeah uh and yeah it's it's just very cool to see it still going on very cool so now for my reflection Mm. and not to bring the mood down Mm. but it's very much more on the fragility Mm. of the forest because yeah you know thought i was coming well i am in that we are in the tropics and you know we were told it was the wet season it's been dry as fuck yeah i think we've probably seen maybe two bouts of decent rain yeah two weeks yeah and any water source we've gone by is completely dried up we have seen water being trucked into camp to sustain the work here which we should say you know the camp is set up to collect as much rainwater as possible yeah all the roofs have gutters which all link up and feed into one main reservoir so that not a drop is wasted and that would be for the showers and things like that exactly there's just not been enough and that has been and not just so we've seen a snapshot of it in our time so in the last two weeks which is nothing we've seen a very dry time and water deliveries then you speak to scientists who have worked here for one or two years and they have said oh last year the water was this level and this year it's this level then we've spoken to people who have worked here for 20 years and have given an even more zoomed out picture on the drought and then we've spoken to people whose entire livelihoods are here who've lived here and gotten their uh, outlook on the drought and hearing things like their production of honey being a fifth of what it was last mm. year and 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 seeing the emaciated animals uh and and animals moving away from this area to head south to find the water and having done work here on this forest and all the work protecting it but then literally having to rethink your entire battle plan because oh shit the animals are just upping and leaving to go to where the water is and then having to think about all of the communities which are in that um line of fire line of fire sounds very dramatic but you know the path that it's all going to take and it's kind of scary yeah there is you know you can you can protect an area like this you can protect it as much as you want from uh, you can do brilliant work with communities you can stop deforestation you can stop hunting you can work so so hard as many people have here to protect this extraordinary uh, ecosystem and all the animals in it if there's no water it's fucked yeah and that's the situation we're in as the climate changes yeah yeah it's uh we don't normally get no we don't normally get heavy on how many geese no but how many badgers would you fuck up (laughs) (laughs) but that's the truth and it's maybe been uh last year in london i thought was one of the 
turning points in my life with climate change in like oh my god it's 40 degrees in the uk this has kind of followed it so that's exactly what i was going to say i think to me obviously we see it happening in the uk we see it happening on the news around the world for me this has been one of the most stark examples yeah of climate change yeah probably because it's happening in such a remote Mm. pristine Mm. in inverted commas um intact ecosystem and if we go back to the start of the whole thing this is the second biggest tract of tropical forest outside of the amazon in the world and it's drying up yeah which is scary yeah and then on top of that there's a whole infrastructure project happening looking to bring more tourists here yeah and a hotel being built we're not gonna give answers Mm. but we can't give answers on that but it's um you know what do you do areas need money money tourists bring money Mm. tourists need water Mm. it's a hell of a cycle yeah so yeah that's across what are we like 50 over 50 episodes i reckon the last 11 minutes have been the heaviest we've ever been yeah so that's an insight into a different bit of us yeah but we really hope (laughs) (laughs) you've enjoyed the show yeah whether whether we go out on this bit i don't know maybe we'll stick a fun fun a bit at the end yeah um actually it might be quite fun to put this at the end and then go through back all we've got over 90 recordings of our time here so who knows what might actually follow this we're just gonna like (laughs) listener it's just gonna be the most random bit of fun you've ever heard <laughs> you might not even be from an episode we've been in the jungle no. it might just be let's just play the greatest hits let's wheel out pablo escobar again yeah. <laughs> you're about to get off-cut roulette <laughs> brace we're gonna finish the biggest most ambitious season we've ever done with a giblet <laughs> <laughs> yeah by dredging something up from season one <laughs> um but no it has been extraordinary we've had an amazing time um, a big thank you to everyone we've spoken to and everyone we haven't spoken to yeah. because there have been so many people here yeah. as well. Other scientists, people doing the logistics, you know, camp managers, everyone who's looked after us. Dude, the cooks. Yeah, the co- just just everybody who has... I've never known rice and beans every day like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I never wish to again. Yeah. Um, yes, just a big thank you to, to everybody, like yeah. I say, who we spoke to and who we didn't speak to because we've had an amazing time and they're all doing an incredible job. Yeah, and shout out to the inventors of Tupperware for allowing us to get a studio in three lunchboxes yeah. to take to the forest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we should say, like, the experience that we've had, Yeah. people can have too. Yeah. Like, check out Opwall. Check yeah. out Operation Wallacea. Um, go on their website. There'll be links in the show, uh, in the show notes. Um, but this is an experience that you can uh, you can come out and have. You could do projects with them. You could just come along and help out with the science. It's an amazing chance to get sort of in the field experience. They do projects all over the world, um, Asia, Africa, South America, it, the UK. Um, yeah, it's just a really cool place to get in the field experience of biology work. And Opwall aside, if, you know, just get involved with nature on your doorstep. Yeah. Find your local nature reserve. Find your, you know, we've been speaking to people here who have these careers and are starting these careers and are deep in their careers. And everyone we've spoken to when asking how do you get into it, 
just pick up the phone get out and do it yeah just make contact with yeah. someone in your area that's yeah. looking at whatever you might be interested in yeah. newts bats start birds. with slugs go up yeah just <laughs> anything there are people there are people out there yeah. that are very willing and happy to share their passion with you and start you on that journey yeah so get out there see more do more goose more hasta luego <laughs> dude i've no idea where that goose ball came from and that is a wrap on how many geese in mexico we hope you've enjoyed the last eight episodes they were something completely different for us to make but we had a lot of fun making it a big thank you to all the scientists students and support staff throughout our time on expedition and of course to operation wallacea for hosting us out there we're going to be back before christmas for an end of year goose special and we will of course be back in the new year we've already started researching and planning for next season and are very excited for the new stories and places we'll be going don't forget to check out our Instagram page at How Many Geese and our Buy Me a Coffee page at How Many Geese as well, where you can help support the show. Thank you, everyone. Keep an eye on the Instagram page for updates, and we'll be back before Christmas. Cheers. Bye bye. <laughs>